This is Air Commander Starscream, and you are listening to Half Measures. Uh, Half Measures? Sounds like Megatron's battle strategy. <laughs> Kia ora. welcome into episode 118 of Half Measures Podcast. I'm joined as always by my podcast co-host, Dan Whiting King. Dan, how are you going? Kia ora, Paul. Another week on the pod. Glad to be here. Got a lot to talk about. I'm very excited. I am very excited as well. I was looking at the things I want to talk about and I'm looking at the things we're going to have to talk about next week. I feel like this couple of weeks is like a golden age of television. It's a good time, isn't it, to be a, a like a, a lazy fan of like TV shows and movies <laughs> because it's like there's just so much content. Like, like we've got Obi Wan, we've got Stranger Things, we've got Better Call Saul. Like, there's just so much happening, and it's all it's all great. I I was thinking about it today. It's actually going to be really hard, I think, this year when we do our top ten because I just think there's so much stuff happening. I've been thinking about that top ten as well. I might even mention it um, as we as we talk about things because. There have been some exceptional TV series. Of course, next week we've got Fear the Walking Dead, season seven to review as well. There's all kinds of different television series that are on our radar at the moment. I don't think we're to worry about that being in the top 10, Paul. Oh, well, let, no, let's not spoil it because, uh, you know, it might be on my list. So you never know. <laughs> It'll be the end of the podcast, I swear. <laughs> it really will. Um, but there are a number of things. So, yeah, it's a great time to be an armchair critic of television. Um and on that note, Dan, why don't you just kick us off with what else you've been watching? Because we've got a couple of joint things this week, but what have you been watching yourself this week? Well, I'm actually still kind of dealing with a bit of the the backlog I didn't talk about last week. So I've got a, it might sound like I've watched a lot this week, but a lot of this is a, a bit of a, a carry on from uh, being away. So the, the first TV show I'd like to talk to you about, Paul, is Vikings Valhalla. So this is the, the spin-off uh, TV show from the original Vikings TV show. Uh, big fan of Vikings, really loved it. I was intrigued at this uh, spinoff. So this spinoff has basically set a hundred years after uh, the, the previous Vikings kind of ended, and it kind of loosely follows sort of you know historical events. Pr- loosely is probably a good word to use there. And what's interesting about this series is. You know, in the last one, it was kind of the show was created and kind of helmed by uh, one core person. This series of Vikings is developed or produced in the in the traditional way they would make a TV show. It's you know, it's a it, there's a writers' room. They're kind of like working out sort of major plot points and stories and things like that. And I think I enjoyed it overall. It's very much more Vikings, like it's basically uh, angry bearded men, um, (laughs) side eye, looking at each other, getting in fights, um, trying to claim territory, um, backstabbing each other. And it's, it's, it's more of the same, but I feel like the, the story and the characters don't instantly, they're not instantly grabbing me as much as they did with, with the first series. Though in saying that, I think by the end of this season, I was definitely thinking, oh, I hope we get another season. I, I, I think there's some interesting stories to tell here. I just would say, I don't know whether it's necessarily telling us 
anything that new or shocking because I think we, we had a lot of that with the original original Viking series and a, a lot of that series you know explored you know what the the Viking culture Viking culture looked like what their sort of um their, their gods and their what what it meant to sort of die in battle whereas now sort of fast forward in 100 years there's kind of this the, the core conflict that's based around um, Christianity sort of um seeping into their culture and kind of the, the the traditional Viking ways kind of dying out a little bit to this and there's kind of people in those different camps who sort of back one of back one of those theories and yeah look it's a it's a it's an interesting watch it's it's mostly fun it's it's only about eight episodes so it's about an hour each mm-hmm. um interesting cast largely people I haven't really come across before but there's there's definitely some good characters in there yeah, I was just looking through it and thinking, oh, there's no one here I can pick up on and sort of say, oh, yeah, I've seen them. There's literally, literally no one. So I see this is 100 years after Vikings. I hadn't actually realized that Vikings itself had had even finished. But um, I'm guessing, therefore, 100 years afterwards, therefore, obviously, none of the characters uh, are going to be there. Are there any family lines specifically that carry on? Anything interesting like that? There's there's a few family lines that are there, and there's lots of reference to some of the characters from the original um, series. And again, because it's kind of based on you know historical events, it makes it easy for them to sort of talk about the uh, the the legacy that um, was sort of carved out by some of our original original characters. But it's like it's if you like Vikings, you'll probably like this. I think the the one kind of like. Um, flag I would say is it's probably not going to just um, grab you grab your attention straight away maybe like the original Vikings because I think it was just so so fresh and new and different and they sort of you know worked up to these sort of big amazing sort of like you know Game of Thrones level battles and um, just such so much deep character development whereas this is kind of like it's it feels like more of the same but nothing necessarily new at this point mm. Interesting. And do you think, because of course Vikings were around from the 9th to the 11th century as uh, you know, raiders, pirates, traders and explorers, as you well know. I'm not reading that off the screen at all. Um, like, So they've chosen to go 100 years into the future rather than, do you think this works better than had they done like a, a prequel and gone earlier? Is this the right direction to go in? I think so, because I think... I, I think so in this setting because I think I think bringing the whole sort of um, paganism versus Christianity to sort of a head is sort of an interesting uh, conflict to have, and I think it does allow them to kind of build on some of the the good sort of foundational story arcs that were were set in the previous series. Uh, I think if they'd gone backwards, I think technology would have gone so far back and that it would have really um, kept them. Uh, in in those sort of Scandinavian countries, whereas by by going so far forward, they're already well advanced, and they're kind of you know the way they use their boats, the way they yeah. they travel to um, England and and back. Not that it's called England back then, but do you know what I mean? Like yeah, it's, yeah, yeah. Um, it's all all those pieces are there for them to sort of start using, which which is quite good. Then I just spotted. I just you know, I was just clicking on people's names. Jeb Stewart, the creator. Never heard of him. Just looked at what he's done in his career. He is the writer of Die Hard. He is the writer of The Fugitive. He is the writer of movies like Just Cause, Another 48 Hours. This guy has an amazing back catalogue of movies. Mm. Mm. No, 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 definitely, definitely. I think, too, the other thing that's, you know, really awesome in, in these shows is I think kind of their, 
attention to detail with all of the, like the sort of the costumes and the yeah. the battle scenes are normally good value and the, the they do that really well and, and you can tell they kind of invest heavily in making that a, a good experience for the audience it does look quality i mean yeah absolute beautiful production value it looks superb across the photos and the trailer that's playing and you mentioned the writer's room which you and I've talked about with different shows it feels so crucial in this day and age to have a writer's room so that things are synced up and not you know just not not making sense so I think with the with the production values of writing crew and this guy Jeb Stewart who I now know who he is leading the way I think this from the outside looking in could be a show that may well go places yeah definitely and I think the other thing that might appeal with this show is if you're maybe a little bit overwhelmed by the original six seasons of Vikings this is kind of a another entry point for you like you know you can jump in fresh you can just like you've only got eight episodes to get your head around you don't need to have watched the previous six seasons but if this type of show does take your interest then it's obviously all there for the taking so I think in that sense they've kind of made it a good platform for newcomers to the to the genre nice and that one is on Netflix indeed on Netflix so hopefully we get a, a season two the other show that I've watched is uh, the latest Marvel outing on Disney+, Plus, which is uh, Marvel's Moon Knight. So this is uh, a really different, I think, show in the, the Marvel lineup of, of TV shows. So this one stars our very own Poe Dameron, uh, Oscar Isaac, and he is, he is the Moon Knight. And what's kind of interesting about this, I guess, show character so we've got six episodes and with a with a lot or I'd say most sort of superhero movies and tv shows when they introduce a new character they very much focus on origin stories and how how said person how does spider-man become spider-man how Mm. does the hulk become the hulk and whereas this show kind of just like springboards straight into it like oscar isaac's character is already basically kind of kind of Moon Knight, and the way they kind of I tell the story is really interesting. And I know that it's it's kind of been quite controversial about whether people enjoyed it or not. But I guess the sort of the breakdown of, of how this character works and the and the way they sort of tell the story is Oscar Isaac's character is kind of suffers from a a, a personality disorder, and the whole sort of shows played out where he's kind of got these competing personalities and they only one of them's really aware um that that he's the moon knight and the moon knight is basically uh it's all all linked to like egyptian gods and it's got quite a sort of a a fascinating um story around it but it's with the support of this egyptian god he's basically got superhuman strength and he's um got all these sort of additional powers but I think the the thing that they're really focusing on here is kind of just the the mental um, health and the what's happening when he's kind of switching personalities and how he doesn't know what's happening. And I guess, for example, like you know, the series starts off and Oscar Isaac's character sort of working in a in a museum and he's just kind of a uh, he's not well liked by the by the other people he works with um he's kind of you know does a few kind of like clumsy or stupid things but his kind of alter ego um is like you know super smart like um really kind of like confident and a little bit aggressive and like that personality might get like a date with someone at the at the museum but his other personality would never even dream of it and he's he's got so much 
he's so unsure that these sort of personalities are switching. When he goes to bed at night, he actually chains himself to the bed because he'll sometimes just wake up in like strange situations where he might have killed a bunch of people or he might have saved somebody or and he just doesn't know. And it's sort of it's the it's the journey of him kind of understanding these other personalities and and kind of coming to terms with terms with it while discovering at the same time he's also a, a superhero. So how how much control does he have of these other, you know, like he's chained himself to the bed so he doesn't trust himself. So he's obviously not fully controlling at all. No, and I think and that's the way that I think it, it's really good. Right? And I think you've got to give Oscar Isaac a, a shout out for this. It genuinely feels like you're watching different characters mm. and he, he plays them so well. And sometimes the as he sort of starts to come to terms with, you know, the different characters or the different personas that live inside his head and they start to have conversations against each other like, like give the body back to me. I'll, I'll deal with the situation. And it's kind of like, it's like no, no, no. You're going to kill some people, and it's <laughs> it's all kind of it's it's quite a complex, um, I guess way like like in a comic book setting, and sort of in a in a print written form works quite well. I think trying to do this sort of live action through a, a Disney Plus TV show has definitely got some challenges. And I think it's. For me personally, I really enjoyed it. I'm really interested in the Moon Knight. I really hope that we sort of get a, another season or we get more sort of outings of, of this character. Um, but it's, I think it's a little bit hit and miss for people. It's mm. not your your typical sort of Falcon and the Winter Soldier or WandaVision or um, what, whatever else it may be. So it is a little bit different. What's really interesting hearing you say that is of, of all the Marvel shows that you bring to the pod over the last sort of you know six months or, or whatever, this one probably actually stands out to me as the one that I'm like, oh yeah, I could be really interested in giving this a go. It looks different, but it presumably, because I'm quite naive around these things, as you know, it presumably all feeds in to the wider Marvel Cinematic Universe. Is that right? Well, so so it does, but it doesn't actually have any sort of like hard connections. Like, you know, I think for someone like yourself, who's kind of, oh, this character sounds interesting. The way of telling the story sounds interesting. You could easily jump into it as a bit of a, a one-off and carry on living your life without too much sort of stress around it. So it doesn't um, it doesn't have the real hard connections that some of the, like, you know, like WandaVision, so, so connected to Doctor Strange and the multiverse of, of madness, whereas this is, this is quite independent. And it's, I think, because of all the sort of Egyptian um, gods and that they spent quite a bit of time in Egypt, there's, there's quite a bit of, almost kind of a bit of a, a light touch Indiana Jones vibe to some of the stuff because they're, they're doing a lot of treasure hunting and they're they're going through tombs and crypts and stuff. So there's quite a bit of fun here. I think the other thing that I'd give a big shout out to is got Ethan Hawke as sort yeah. of our. I used to uh, bad guy in sort of like air quotes, but he's such a fantastic actor. And alongside Oscar Isaac, I think you can tell they're having a lot of fun making the series. And also a shout out uh, to. The, the creator of Moon Knight so this guy Doug Doug Munch I was just looking at him he's he's the guy who did your Harley Quinn series that I know you, you watched the first season off that animated one he's got a whole bunch of DC videos and video games and different all the way back to the 1980s um, the, the Mighty Mouse series as well I mean he's been doing this for a long time Holiday. I love that mm. I absolutely love that he's yeah he's the creator of the show and he was doing it all the way back then in the 80s that's so good I think too, and the other thing uh, with the show is that so when um, Oscar Isaac's character becomes Moon Knight, it's a very CGI kind of character. Like the whole suit is sort of CGI, and it's always 
uh, I think interesting to sort of see how how actors kind of interact with um, with those sort of components of a show. But I think th- this is this is done pretty well. And I think for those people that are, are fans of cosplay, this is the type of series that has so many great outfits and characters that people can just sort of obsess over. Um, I, I think the hesitancy will come for people of it, particularly if you're a fan of the comics. It the show might not have gone sort of far enough for for you into the sort of the Moon Knight universe and the sort of the the Moon Knight history. It touches on it as it sort of, as the show starts to wind up, but being only six episodes long, mm. it's not really enough to sort of to do everything. So that so they've had to make some choices, and that's why I say I hope we get a, a season two here. Very good. All right, and then I've got one final movie, and this is a, a Chris Pine movie, Paul, called The Contractor. So this movie uh, just came out on Prime Video, and it's basically starring Chris Pine as a discharged U.S. Special Forces Sergeant, James Harper, and he risks everything for his family when he joins a private contracting organization. It's the dream, Paul, to be a to be a contractor. So, <laughs> so the story here is. It's it's kind of that that classic um, American military story, which I think we've seen quite a few times. So um, Chris Pine's character is kind of getting to the the end of his career in the in the military, mostly because his, his body's sort of almost starting to give up on him. Like he's starting, he's got a few injuries, he's done several tours, and it's time to get out. But you know, he's 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 given his his heart, and so he's given everything to uh, to America. Um, into the military and you know he's gone back home there's you know his debt he's got bills to pay and so along comes sort of the the big the big um, military sort of uh, private companies and they're like Let, let's get you set up as a as an independent contractor and what's kind of cool about this is it also stars Keith Sutherland and you know, I'm a big Keith Sutherland mm-hmm. fan from um, 24. And basically what happens is, is the whole sort of the story of this movie is he goes out on this on, on some private gigs and things are, as you can imagine, in, a, in these sort of military series, things are not as they are sort of intended. There's, there's a bit of double-crossing. There's a bit of um, Chris Pine's character having to, to do the right thing. It... it, it Look, it's not good. This isn't the greatest movie that you ever see, but it's a real great popcorn thriller. And you know, I I had a lot of fun with this movie. Like, you know, just kind of sit back. We've just watched a movie of Chris Pine where he sort of played a a far more sort of like low key um, spy. It's good to see Chris Pine sort of in full action mode. And and I had a lot of fun with this one. It's so funny you've watched this because we were real close to watching it as well and the only reason we didn't was because we just watched all the old knives and we thought oh well maybe we'll, we'll give a bit of a break in between our, our pioneatings but if yeah if if we hadn't i would be able to jump straight in with a, a bit of a joint review here because uh this is on the radar and i'd seen that the ratings on it weren't particularly high and that always intrigues me because i was saying i wonder if it's as bad as as people you know are, are making it and i've heard a couple of things now and you're one of them where it's it's um it's it's a, it's a good time. And sometimes those action movies, sometimes the school middle of the road, you know you're in for a bit more popcorn than you are maybe sort of quality story. And I'm, I'm all for that sometimes. 
I think that's the thing I like. A middle-of-the-road action movie is, can sometimes be as, as good as it gets, and it's good for the soul. Like, the the story was interesting enough. It's got a pretty, you know, pretty great cast, all things considered, especially, you know, because it is kind of, you know, on uh, IMDb, it's tracking at about 5.7 out of 10, which which isn't great, but as I was saying, I, I, I had a good time, and I think if you're, you know, it's a, it's a Saturday night, you're looking for something fun to watch, you could do far worse than the than the contractor. Very good. Well, it's going to stay on our list. And I have to be honest, I didn't know until looking at this that Keith Sutherland was in it. I obviously sort of didn't sort of figure in the credits or the posters. So I, I really, I've always enjoyed him as well. My my interest doesn't come from the same direction as where yours is, but I really am a big fan of him. So it's on the list. The other actual actor I should give a shout out into this too is Ben Foster. Like I always enjoy Ben Foster. He often plays a oh, bit of yeah, a, the cowboy a, a, a villain in, in shows, but he's he's such good value. And I think you know when you combine that with Chris Pine, you combine that with um, Keith Sutherland, you've kind of got a a good thing going on. And Ben Foster and Chris Pine actually did that that great movie, which is um, just slipped my mind, but the the one that Taylor Sheridan created, one of his, I think, Hello High Water. Yes, they did that great series, that, that great movie together. So they've already got some great chemistry. Very good. Chris Pine's a that busy Paul? guy. He is a busy guy. There's a lot of stuff going on, he and he's coming back as Captain Kirk again. So let's just let's just let's focus on that. He doesn't muck around. But that is me for this week. Apart from our joint watches, what about yourself? Um, so I've got a couple of things. This week, Dan, I watched Death on the Nile. That was the the go to movie for us. Um, so, this is the the second Agatha Christie movie of the of the um, I guess of the of the Pyro series with with um, Kenneth Branagh um, after Murder on the Murder on the Orient Express. I think this is a step up for me. From I really enjoyed. Uh, murder on the orient express but i think this for me was something of a step up in terms of story maybe the first movie had some bigger names in the in the cast or the supporting cast but this still had a a really superb cast both of those movies you know based on the on one of the best you know 20th century crime authors agatha history um i can't believe i haven't watched the tv series from the the 90s now thinking about it because i really i do love this this character and kenneth branner who is now in his 70s, which I, I really can't believe because somehow I feel like he's almost in something of uh, of a prime, not just as an actor, but as a as a director as well. I think he's he's really, really good in this. And um, yeah, as I say, in the support cast, there are some real notable mentions, especially um, like Russell Brand. He is very, very good in this, very unrecognisable. He showed a real different side to his his acting quality. Um, so, you know, in terms of a, a classic murder mystery, he he was good in this. We've got Dawn French and Jennifer Saunders reunited on screen for the first time in a long time. That was that was good, and it didn't distract either, the fact that they were back together. Uh, Army Hammer, Annette Benning, both really good. But probably the standouts for me, as I say, were, were, were Kenneth Branagh and also um, Gal Gadot. Um, and, yeah, it kept me guessing... It kept me entertained. It never dragged. And it's got a real good, you know, if you think about the, the ship and the Nile and the scenery, really spectacular. So there was a lot of positives here. I think you're going to have to issue an apology to start with, Paul, because Kenneth Brenner is only 60 years old. Is he 60? <laughs> I just looked at his age on the, and I was like, I just did the maths backwards and I was like, 
Wow, that's amazing. <laughs> that's a real it's relief. Been a on the Half Missions podcast. <laughs> that's a real relief, actually, because I was just thinking, oh, I really, I really would love for him to do a few, few more things. <laughs> that's amazing. Poor guy, he's out to retirement already. <laughs> okay, that's that makes a lot more sense. Okay, that's great because because you know I, I was actually literally thinking, oh, you know, someone like you know Clint Eastwood and all these actors who are getting out there. Who did we talk about last week? He was in their seventies. I was like, I can't believe they're in their seventies. Uh, it's escapes Christopher me. Walken. Yeah, there we go. It's like, it's it's um. So that's good. That's that's really good to know. Um, that's that's really pleased me. Um, what what kind so of so this movie has it got a bit of um? Has it, has it got rewatchability given that it's sort of a murder mystery? Um, that's a good question, right? Because I didn't rewatch. Murder on the Orient Express to going into this, even though, of course, with the character continuation, I didn't feel the need to. And that is a really good question because there are some elements of a murder mystery where once you know who it is, you kind of, you, that's that's that. But then also, I think there's at least a one rewatch because once you know it's that person, then rewatching it again and watching that person specifically, you become more uh, attuned to, to what they're doing. So I, th- I think it would, it would have at least one rewatch in it. Um, I would be keen, like if this, if they end up doing a trilogy or, or whatever it is to, to watch them all back to back, I think that would be, be quite good. Um, but it's, yeah, there's a lot of entertainment value, but so much hinges on the, who is it? That's yeah, that's a, that's a really, really good, Really good question. How does uh, Russell Brand's character fit into it? Because when I think of Russell Brand, I think of him as a very certain type of actress, or a bit like yeah. uh, uh, Ryan Reynolds, for example. Yeah, and th- and that's the f- that's a, a really another good comparison to draw because it's one of those people that when you see Russell Brand on TV in a show, just like Ryan Reynolds, often it's it's just that person, but not at all the case. His character, like if you look at the um the photos of him specifically in this he he's he's very refined he's very calm he's very sort of um almost conservatively dressed and he just like he is one of the suspects in this and he like i i'll be honest i didn't even recognize it was recognize it was him it was diana who said is that russell and i'm like are you mental no it's not and yeah it was it was incredible um on the other hand, I'm going to be a bit harsh here. Uh, Tom Bateman, who in, in many ways was actually kind of the lead, I didn't find him overly convincing, and I can't quite put my finger on why. And I hate to talk bad of someone, but yeah, I just didn't quite, didn't quite carry it um, as well as I thought maybe someone else could have. Um, maybe there was also maybe there was a couple of plot points that took the story in unnecessary, you know, like a, a direction it didn't need to go. But then I guess they're trying to sort of set up red herrings and misdirection as part of the thing. But um, that's a minor criticism, really. And is the the Nile as fun as the Orient Express? Yeah, I think so. I think overall, um, I prefer the train setting of the Orient Express. I think um, as a vehicle, I, think, I thought that allowed for slightly more... Uh, I don't know, space or there was something about the the way in which that was framed up um but the the Nile of course um just that boat setting not quite as good as the train but overall the scenery and the look and feel um 
yeah, overall, I think I preferred this movie, which is an interesting one because I think the cast on the other one, when I looked at the cast on the first one, I was like, oh, wow, that's, you know, there was just there's so much to, and yet this one, with respect, with a slightly perhaps less A cast for some of them, I thought did a better job. So it's interesting. Mm. And oh, that's good. That is available in New Zealand on Neon. So that's Death on the Nile. And then the second thing then for me, um, this is an Irish police drama from ITV uh, filmed on location in uh, beautiful Cork called Holding. And Holding is based on the novel by Graham Norton, who is also the executive producer of the show. And... um, I just want Graham to, Norton, the the stand, yeah, the this, the, the chat show guy. host. Wow, yeah, I and th- yeah, I have to say, I was, I, 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 I didn't know much. I mean, Diana had had read the book and she thought it was great, so that was an in for me. And um, and then I saw the synopsis and just when I just listened to this, so the story of an Irish police officer, Sergeant Collins, a gentle, gentle mountain of a man who hides from people and fills his days with comfort food and half-hearted police work. Let's just have a think about that. So we got hides from people, eats comfort food and half-hearted work. I feel like I've been seen in some respects here, Dan. That feels like... I feel like he should be on half measures. <laughs> he really would fit straight in. I, I really, really enjoyed this this tv show um conneth hill as sergeant collins is in the lead he is just immaculate and he he plays the part appearing to be a bit older than he actually is in real life um and i've checked the maths on that one <laughs> it's not a kenneth brenner situation you probably know him better as lord varus from game of thrones i've seen him in dublin murders he's just got an instant lovability about his character um straight away and this is a there is a comedy element to this it's um definitely a, a comedy drama but there was despite that comedy element there was a real mystery here that was hard to try and work out it wasn't obvious it was you know good writing there were some really there's some hard-hitting horrible stories that the, some of the characters talk about along the way that really have you really empathizing with them but at the same time there's this underlying uh very subtle, understated sort of funniness to the story, a real good balance, not in your face comedy, but brilliant Irish refined humor. And it had, it had like a detectorists or the outlaws feel to it in terms of that sort of, you know, to give you a bit of a baseline in terms of that sort of just subtle comedy level. And um, yeah, it's just a very good watch. It's intriguing, I think, because, you know, when you say things like the detectorists and the outlaws, like that definitely piques a bit of interest. And I think the other thing that makes this sort of maybe easy to go and check out is it's only four episodes long. That's right. Yeah. So it's a very, very easy watch. You can easily do it over, you know, a couple of nights without and, and really enjoy it and just take it in your stride. It's um, it's just a very small town you know, they're not used to police officers in this place. If they, uh, if the police are called, it's like basically to settle disputes between residents because the neighbour doesn't like the shade of paint that the house next door is being painted. It's just, you know, and then suddenly there's a murder case to solve and no one is ready for it, least of all the, the police officer. Um, a shout out also for um, Siobhan McSweeney, uh, who you would have just seen as Sister Michael in Derry Girls. Uh, she was very good in this, as was, for me, a standout, Brenda Fricker, who she plays an older, seemingly 
non-central to the plot, Mrs. Uh, Meany, is it? Mrs. Meany, I think. Yeah, Mrs. Meany. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, and she's just absolutely brilliant and she has some really hard lines to deliver. Um, I think there was a couple of times where they tried to maybe shoehorn in some some subplots that sort of leaned into maybe what you might... I guess I'm just going to say modern day storylines or values or personas or the things that maybe I don't believe would necessarily be careful how I say it. Just, I, I don't, it didn't feel like it, those stories felt, didn't feel natural in this town and this environment. But um, again, it was a little bit forced, but nothing big. And and as you said at the start of the pod um, with, you know, it's going to be tough this year for top tens. I have, I've got myself organized this year, Dan, and I already have this shortlisted as, as, as something for me to look at when I go to look at my top 10 for our top 10 2022 podcast at the end of the year. That's how high I rate it. And I have to say kudos to, you know, to, to Graham Norton. I've been also taking this full measure pool where I've been like actually writing down the shows as I watch them, as opposed to looking at the end of the year and being like, all right, what came out? And just kind of like a bit of a, yeah. a, a sweep back through. I've been like, nope, let's catch them as we go when it's sort of in its, in its purest. And then you can actually generally be like, if it's on the list, but is it above or below any of these? And then, you know, it'll hopefully make it a bit easier to put that line in the sand yeah. where number 10 sits. So that's um, holding. It's available in New Zealand on TVNZ On Demand. And... Yeah, I would love a second season if it's possible. It feels unlikely given the way it's got quite a tidy ending, but um, you never know if Graham has written another book or if he's going to write another book, maybe they could. But yeah, a really nice little watch. And as you said, so easy to watch for just four hours. Awesome. Well, Paul, all of those things aside, should we get into the TV show that we've been dying to talk to each other about for... Oh weeks not not talking about this show to you in any respect has been so hard because every time i finish an episode i'm like i've got a million things i need to say and i've I've just got to hold back i've just got to hold back this is of course better call saul season six part one so this is our final season being split into two parts we've got eight episodes that we've had now and then we just got to wait not too long just july for the final final six and I will say up front, if you haven't seen, and if there's even the slightest slightest chance that you might want to watch Better Call Saul, please just check the timings in the show notes and jump ahead to the movie of the week section because you would not want to hear this before you've watched it. Dan. This, you know, the name Half Measures has a deep origin in the Breaking Bad universe. And Paul and I are huge fans, fans of that world. And, and when Better Call Soul came along, we've become just as much in love with this, if not more in love at times. And I think this TV show is just perfection. Like everything, the storytelling, the casting, the the way it's filmed, the lighting, the set design, everything here is just done with such intent and meaning and it's just a a beautiful piece of art. Oh, you, and I, I, I'm so glad we've got it. You have literally taken the words out of my I don't write too many notes, but I literally wrote everything comes together. Uh it's the embodiment of a show where every single level it just it just all cuts so the story the 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 quality the subtleness the cleverness the 
the direction, the editing, the production, um, the, the the props, the CGI. I've got a couple of nuggets for you on CGI. Um, and then, of course, throw in the cast, where without fail, every cast member is perfectly cast. I mean, I'm not going to start name them because we need to talk about them, but all of them just are just absolutely superb. This is perhaps one, <laughs> perhaps the greatest season of television I've ever seen. I mean, look at the ratings on IMDb there. I've just got the whole season up in front of me. 9.9, 9.7, 9.2, 8.8. I mean, it's it's so great to have shows like this because sometimes when we're coming in critical about some shows, it's like, this is the this is the cake. And I think what's so amazing about the show is obviously this is set before Breaking Bad, and so you're, well, I don't know about you, but for me, my brain is always working overdrive, trying to piece all of these puzzle pieces together, yeah. like, are you in Breaking Bad? Are you referenced? Are you important to the story? Should I be worried about you? What's happening with you? And it's, it's always, you're always thinking. And I think it's a show that, you know, you and I have done this multiple times. We've rewatched these shows a lot, and every time you you know you do get more and more out of it. And I just think this this is going to be one of those shows that will will be fantastic for years to come. Oh, it, it truly will. And I've said it before, but I very nearly didn't watch Breaking Bad when I heard the the plot, and I was like, oh, I don't need to see a teacher cooking meth. And well, what a terrible decision that would have been because this prequel. Um, for me, I think in many respects, it's unfair to say it, but I think it has superseded it. But that's what it has is because we know what is to come. If we didn't have Breaking Bad, I I would love to know how I'd feel about the show because there's so much that leans into what we already know is to come. And that's that's what makes it, you know, such a good, you know, it's, it's going to, I dare say when we're watching, you know, other shows which have got um you know something said in the future we'd say the same thing it's it's spectacular and of course this season comes off the back of season five which was one of our earliest uh podcasts i think uh, episode five or six or something around there where we did a full season review and that had one of the greatest finales of a season as well so it picks up right off of that action and i think what's kind of interesting about Bitical soul is because we know where this ends up in the breaking bad universe like there's still kind of this like element of like like goodness and sort of um, richness where um, Jimmy or Saul Goodman sort of trying to kind of build build the, the character and the law firm of of who he is and and Breaking Bad and he's got all these like schemes and all these kind of like dodgy things and sometimes I'm not even like really okay with what he's trying to achieve for some of these. Um, weird deals and people that he hires to kind of play different roles to to con and, and trick people. And then you've kind of got like um, Kim who, you know, I think we've got a lot to talk about with Kim. Yeah. Who's sort of this more pure side of so and sort of more, uh, you know, uh, a, a well-respected, um, strong lawyer and I think in this season we kind of get to see a bit of her darker side coming out and a side that, that she's actually really enjoying That's, oh you're so right I mean Ray Seahorn who who plays Kim she's so good she also directs an episode this season as well and is so good she's gone from being that one who sort of was always trying to calm Jimmy and keep him reality check uh, to being as you sort of say now she's the one that almost needs roping and she's the one who's 
who is now out of control. And I'm going to jump straight to it, Dan, because we haven't even talked about some of the big events, but there are some things that happen this season that we'll get to that are quite brutal. Do you think that season six, part two, will be as brutal with characters that we know are not going to be in Breaking Bad? So we'll, you know, I'm, I'm thinking Kim, I'm thinking Lalo. Will they will they go down a similar path to to um, to Nacho and, and to Howard? So many things, Paul. First of all, Nacho is one of my favourite <laughs> characters. I was so sad to, to, to lose him. I think it's tough, right? Like I think we there's definitely going to be a bit more more blood before this before the season sort of finally wraps up, and I think Lalo is not he's definitely not going to make it, but I think he's going to take out more people uh, before we get to that point. And Lalo, fantastic I know. villain, like he's so lovable, he's so dark, he's so unstable, but you kind of are. Like his calmness is is, is something yeah. incredible. I think there's the big mystery is what's going to happen to Kim, and I think so. Obviously, Kim is never referenced. Well, you know, not really referenced in, in Breaking Bad, um, in, in a way that I can sort of think of. No. But I think some interesting things happen this season that have really got me thinking about Kim. And this is real deep down the sort of the nerd train. But have you noticed through this season, Paul, when? They have shots, particularly of Kim. There's often bars on the screen, like so. There'll be shadows cast from like blinds that will put like bars across her. She'll be sitting behind like um, a fence, or um, she'll be sitting like there's so there's there's a lot of scenes with her where there's 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 they look like prison bars. Incredible. And I wonder. This is a, this is a real long shot. Like is like. Because I think what Breaking Bad does is they do this with the the way they use like the color palette of the show. They often sort of like when people are wearing kind of like you know like light colors, they're often you know meant to be the more pure one in the scene. When people sort of represent death, there's there's this different sort of like you know darker colors. And I think with Kim, there's and it's something I noticed. And I don't know whether it's because I kind of I watched it over the course of two days, but a lot of the shots just kind of have her framed in this way that has kind of got this ominous kind of vibe about it. But I want to counter that with, I couldn't see someone like Kim going to jail because I think Jimmy would fight so hard to get her out of there. Yeah. But what I what I do think is Kim also picked up the little black book, right? And the little black book yeah. of all the sort of like, you know, all the your, your, your bad guy go-to book, got the vacuum cleaner salesman. You could see Kim going into hiding. See. And so potentially still being out there. Yeah. Uh, firstly, incredible that you picked up on the stripes. Uh, that's not something I've seen, and I will be looking for that when I and I will inevitably do a rewatch. Um, I'm of the mind, as my my fan theory is that I just think that killing Kim. I just I just don't know how they could do that to us. But this is a show that we've we've seen will do anything to us with some of the characters that we love. But I just feel like there's an outside chance because we've got this story with Gene in the future. I feel like there's an outside chance that somehow, for whatever reason, Kim has survived. She's got the phone number for, um, you know, she knows to ask for the for the the vacuum Hoover mm-hmm. Max Pressure Pro. And I feel like there is a chance. And, and my answer is tied to the fact that 
this this season didn't give us a black and white opening with Gene. So every season of Better Call Saul, um, you know, we always love that we're going to get this opening scene, which is set in the future beyond Breaking Bad. And it starts in black and white and, and Jimmy or Saul is undercover as a guy called Gene. I always love that. And of course, this time we didn't get that. And instead, it started with very bright color and it freaked me out a little bit. But now I'm thinking they're going to give us some sort of gene at the end of six part two. And maybe part of that, part of that Kim shows up in. And I'm not saying that they're setting up a potential uh, sequel series for gene beyond breaking bad. I I would love that, but I, I can't imagine we'd be that lucky, but I feel like there's a potential that the reason they didn't give us Gene at the start of the season is because they don't want to give away anything about Kim. So I think I think a couple of things in there. So I think the way that the show started this time of the dismantling of kind of the, the Saul Goodman empire, yeah. I think is that's actually the timeline kind of catching up, right? So that's the timeline of uh, when it all kind of, falls apart, everyone's sort of going into their um, witness protection through the Feather Vacuum Cleaner store. And because another thing that's kind of got me thinking with Kim, because I think a simple solution would be that she dies. The reason I am not a big believer of that theory is I think that would break Jimmy or or Sol. And I don't think he would be able to function. And the fact that he's kind of peak scumbag lawyer in Breaking Bad implies to me that Kim is either safe somewhere or she's or she's somewhere in the in the in the world. Because another scenario that I think could play out is what if and this is a, a bit of a long stretch, but like what if Kim actually went to be and actually as a lawyer for for the cartel and oh. she's actually like, you know, in, in Mexico. That I love that. I feel like we need to um we need to somehow get these theories to the creators of the show just to to see if you know, if we were the first to predict that because that's that is a really big shot. I um I feel like you hit the nose the the, the nail on the head uh, with the how Jimmy would be broken. How we see him as as Gene, you know, he's so different as Gene. He's so terrified and he's so sullen and and quiet and depressed and all the things. I think that's how he would be post Kim, and so that's why I agree with you that. Um, it's interesting because I felt I would, might be quite alone in this thinking and you're, you're coming in quite strong as well around the, the Kim theory as well. So it'll be really interesting to see if, if how much, I don't know, who knows how much we'll find out. But um, just to take it back to the start of that episode with the, you know, the dismantling of the Saul Goodman Empire and the house and, the, and everything being loaded into the truck, the, the, the little bottle top that falls from the truck into the gutter, that's CGI. And the the reason was because they they just couldn't get this bottle top to to fall down, you know, and it was just taking too many shots because it was one long continuous shot that was so well done. And then of course, that's a reference all the way back, well at least back to season five. There's so many little things, and this show um, continues to give us so many other things that explain what happens in Breaking Bad. So the the tunnel under the road. I'm just jumping all over the place here, Dan. The tunnel under the road so Gus goes into his house and then he goes un- into his house into a tunnel 
and that tunnel comes out on the other side of the street. So he lives across the street. That finally answers the question from Breaking Bad, where we never understood how how Fring knew that Walter White had been to his house, because we always thought, well, you know, why aren't you showing us why? He's a genius. Um, now we know it's because that house is under 24-hour camera and guarded surveillance from across the street. And I just thought that was genius. Also, what a great way to never really have to deal with your neighbours, right? Like that always, <laughs> you know, no one no one really knows where you live. I think talking about um, Gus Fring is another, like, because we know Gus Fring is such a powerhouse of a character. And I feel like this season he's really been unsettled right yeah. he had that unsuccessful mission um against lalo and now he's kind of been on edge ever since and it's kind of unusual to see gus fring be a nervous character because we we know him as so confident and so strong great observation i think i love that because because we know how he's going to be in better in, sorry, in breaking bad so we know what he's how he's going to be and we we've seen how he is throughout medical so and it's good to see he ha- he's having this moment because as you say he knows that Salamanca Lalo is is still alive, and everything now is just triggering him. He's he's annoyed about the fact that he has to wear um, a body vest. He's annoyed about the the gun in his socket. It just everything's triggering him now. And um, the I mean, just jumping ahead to the the final episode where Lalo very cleverly sort of tries to unhinge Gus into the right into the into the climax of that final episode um he's really gone under his skin like no one ever has before but i think you're 100 right the, there's no way that lalo can come out of this this series because if if he had he would he would well a he'd be around in breaking bad but b he, he he's worked out the laundry i mean so much of this tv show if you were to explain this to someone who doesn't know anything about the show and say oh it's all about this industrial laundry People will be like, what is going on? Why should I care about an industrial laundry? And yet that's the focus point. What I love so much about Lalo is his commitment to doing the work oh, himself. Yeah. And, you know, he's he's been double-crossed. He's not getting henchmen involved. He's traveling around the world solving his own own crimes, his own problems. And the fact that he kind of like tracked down those German engineers, the fact that like he's like walking through sewers, he's mon- he's doing his own sort of like monitoring and evaluation. It's it's you've got to give him credit. The planning is one thing, but the patience that he has, he 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 knows he's in for a long haul. I mean we're seeing little snippets. He's sitting there for twelve hours in a gutter, staring through binoculars, sitting on a deck chair with just some foul tasting water and yet he's he's doing that. The whole Germany, you know, the whole arc with him trying to figure out Werner Ziegler's whole cover-up story, which goes all the way back to season four, um, working out from just an ornament on that on Ziegler's widow's shelf, mm. and just looking at that and realizing, okay, so where is this made? And then tracking that guy down, and it's the this comes back to the opening that you said around the quality of the of the story and the writing is just it is second to 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 literally none can we even just talk about how when lalo entered the uh, the apartment of um jimmy and kim and just the the candle that flickers almost like sort of a like a like a horror movie right where it's just like the slight movement and they look at it and they both realize Someone's opened the door. See, I picked up on that too. But my thought was that Jimmy was thinking it was it was Chuck, 
like it was some sort of spiritual thing from Chuck. Oh, okay. Like, uh, so Howard had said, you know, you, you're better than this, Kim, whereas you, you're, you're soulless and this is who you are, that you were born like this. And then the kind of, I thought he was looking at thinking somehow that Chuck was sort of agreeing with Howard, but I, I was taken off guard. I did, I didn't, I had not predicted that it would be Salamanca coming through the door. And I certainly could not predict that, that Howard was going to go there. Another thing we like, I'm interested because I actually had to go back and I actually went back and, and rewatched this just to, to verify it because I, w- I wasn't sure what was happening when Mike made the call to shift um, all of the, the low value targets, shift his men off those and let's, let's protect Gus. And the reason that happens, and you, you probably know this, is because there's a, when Lalo is talking to Hector Salamanca, there's a bit of a crackle on the phone line, yep. and he realizes that the phone line's been monitored. And I, I didn't catch it the first time. I, I was like, "What? What's going on?" And I went back and sort of like watched it again. And it was like incredible. Yeah, that was. I, I did hear that, and I, I, I sort of that was why he's smashing the chair into the wall because he's so frustrated because he, obviously he can't go and visit Hector because he knows Hector's being watched. He can't even phone him because the phone's now being tapped. But this is. This is the genius because you know Fring is a genius, but then Salamanca is a genius because he's saying, "Okay, I now know you're listening. You don't know I know that you're listening, so I'm going to to say something to deliberately trigger you." And what he's done is, as you say, he the laundry is considered low value, and they're moving all the all the men to to Gus's house and all the other things. Whereas we know that Lalo's not going to go to Gus's house; he's walking straight into the laundry. And he's not picking up dry cleaning. I think it's <coughs> sorry. It's going to be interesting where um, where this picks up, and I'm so glad we don't. We only have to wait till July and not till 2023. Yeah, because I don't know like how uh, Jimmy and Kim going to deal with with Howard's body. Like that's going to be yeah. like a real concern for them. I think is Lalo actually going to still attack the laundry? Is, like, is he going to go on the offensive to some of these sites? I think so. Like, he's not silly enough to go to Gus's house. I think there's some showdowns potentially to be had with Mike um, and and potentially Lalo. Not to mention there's there's some tensions there between Mike and um, Tyrus, um, yeah. Gus's Gus's two henchmen, which is which is interesting as well. Yeah, I um, I think you know if we're talking predictions, I think I think this is going to. The, the 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 Lalo story may wrap sooner than we might expect because we could easily expect it to go all the way through to the final. I reckon that he will go on the offensive to the laundry. We know that that that's the thing. We know that it whatever happens, it won't take that laundry down because that's where Walter and, and Jesse Pinkman end up. So we know that's safe. But I think he will go for it, and I think at some point he'll he'll get taken out quite early in the in the in the final part of the season, and then I think the last maybe three or four episodes will actually be actually really laying the, the foundations and the story for um, the Breaking Bad and, and have, we may even get some, some really nice crossovers as well. Who knows what we might, what we might get. But um, Dan, there's a couple more things I want to talk about this season before we go into any more predictions. And firstly, you touched on Nacho, Michael Mando as Nacho. What a journey we've been on with this guy on the run just it was just so tense in the oil tanker being chased all the way through to how he chose to once he knew his his dad was safe or would be looked after he was just like i mean he made the ultimate choice and it was it was so hard to watch 
yeah, it really took me by surprise. I, I kind of got the sense of impending doom that there's kind of not necessarily going to be an, an easy way out for this character without a whole bunch of bloodshed. But I was, it, yeah, it really threw me when he took his own life. Yeah, I um, and I guess because we know Fring survives, I mean, part of me would be like, you'd almost think he would be forgiven for for attempting to to take out people on his on his way but um a really sad end to uh, an incredible character who you know as as i've rewatched these seasons over the last sort of eight nine months putting aside the the chuck jimmy story probably the most uh what's the word the the, the protagonist the journeyman that you go through is actually nacho in, in so many respects uh, in terms of his how he goes through you know both cartels and it's yeah it was it was just really really both him and howard's moments of death in this season i don't know about you but like when diana and i were watching it literally at the moment of for both of them we literally were quite audibly quite loud and shocked and like and, and when a tv show makes you do that that's what we're here for yeah <clears throat> no i agree i think it's um i could I kind of felt like we were heading towards something major happening at the end of this um, part of the season. And I happened to pause the TV and it was like four minutes to go and I was like, oh, maybe maybe nothing's going to happen. <laughs> um, but it just, you know, it all kind of the stars aligned perfectly, right, with obviously Mike removing the, the men off Jimmy's house, um, Lalo finding his way in, Howard kind of just, you know, such a Howard move as well to be like, I'm going to come around to your house with a bottle of wine and have a go at you. Yeah. Like it's such yeah. a kind of distinguished gentleman type of type of way to go out. It really is. It really is. The the whole format of this show, the episodes, I was just thinking, you know, how they do the teaser before the opening credits. I just love the way they do that because often you, you they'll set things up or they'll be filming something that seems so obscure and you have no idea what's going on or why it's significant, but you trust the process. You know from previous episodes that they will come back to that thing. Maybe it's just a dripping tap and it seems mm. insignificant. I just, I love that. Bob Odenkirk, you know, as Jimmy or Saul, he's, you know, I mean, we haven't really even mentioned him in this whole discussion we've been having. And this is, this whole series is based around him and his journey prior to Breaking Bad. And yet everything that we've talked about thus far has really been about other things. And that's just a credit to the quality of it because Bob Odenkirk is, is just outrageously good. He's the best. And I think he deserves all the, all the awards and all the praise. And especially when you think about it from a Breaking Bad point of view, like he's not even in Breaking Bad that much. Like, He's he's in it, yeah. but he's not like, you know, he's he's definitely a, a side character, and I think this is so great to kind of get all this context and, and extra information. And I've been trying to sort of do a little bit of back of the envelope sort of math around sort of timelines and things happening here, and I'm wondering, you know, just thinking about predictions. So obviously we know that Gus makes it. If Lalo's kind of out of the picture – I think obviously we we and we know this from Breaking Bad. Gus makes some big commitments to the cartel mm. around the amount of product that he can create. I really feel like there's sort of this, and it, it might be subtle in, in kind of a light way, but we're kind of on a timeline point of view. Like uh, Walter and Jesse are probably making making meth at this time, right? Yes. Like all the stuff's happening, and so, and I know that. Um, 
uh, Jimmy or Sol has to introduce um, Walter to, to Gus. But like, we maybe we're not as far away from that as maybe you would think. And yeah, that 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 could be something that these sort of final episodes lightly touch on. Yeah, I, w- I was thinking a similar line in terms of that. There's that Walter and Jesse at some point right now are doing what they do. That that story we're now running concurrent right this is this is like yeah. this is like when we had the the clone Wars season seven crossover with revenge of the sith we're, we're running concurrent and just that opens up the possibility for so many little things and i feel like there's a real possibility and again i need um i need to go back and check but someone like mike mike ermitra he, he 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 may have some some crossover there with with that the, the Breaking Bad early season. I'm trying to think how early that some of these characters came in, and I really should probably look it up. But shout out again, Jonathan Banks. Uh, I just, if I was Jonathan Banks, I would just want to be Mike all day. I just think he's just like when I think of him in Beverly Hills Cop. Talk about a transformation. He is another one who's late in his prime. Just character-wise, there's no one else I'd love to meet more in this in real life than Mike. It's just great. I would need to go back and sort of listen to what I said maybe around the the end of season five, but I'm still kind of in the camp that we might get a a, a black and white Jesse Pinkman meeting up with Sol Goodman in the sort of the, the Cinnabon Mall situation. Like, yep. that would be amazing. But I don't think we'll get it if there's a crossover in, in the timeline. In real time. in, in sort of the yeah, – yeah, yeah. So – so I think we'll we'll get one of them, but we won't get both. That would be. Oh look, I'll settle for either. Uh, that would be outrageous if we had either of those. I think that would be. I think that would be just, yeah, just fantastic. Um, who haven't we talked about? Who really need? I feel like I don't know why I feel like I need to just. Uh, okay, so yeah, Lalo, Tony Dalton, fantastic, Giancarlo, who also directs the penultimate episode as well, first time directing um, as as Gus. What I find interesting with the Gus character is in Better Call Saul, I want him to win. I want him to be successful. I want him to be able to do what he's doing and the Salamancas are the bad guys. But I remember watching Better Call Saul, uh, sorry, Breaking Bad, feeling exactly the opposite. And I was with Hector the whole way at the end when he was going to, you know, blow up Gus. It's it's amazing how I have this affinity to this character Fring who is an absolute psychopath and cold genius mm, mm, no I agree agree like we, we've got much love for that guy as well I think uh, another character that I think probably deserves a bit of a shout out is actually Patrick Fabian who plays oh, Howard yes. Hamlin yes thank you and I think he, like I genuinely felt sorry for his character this season yeah. like like he He's going through a hard time, and Jimmy and Kim are not doing him any favors. And I, I know that he's been a a bit of an ass, and he's done he's done some bad things himself. But I I don't know if he deserved the the things that were happening to him to really discredit him in front of so many people in front of his law firm. It's it's rough. I don't know if this speaks badly to my personality, but I I again through the. The rewatch of the, especially season one and two of Medical Salt, he the way he treated Jimmy, uh, and alongside Chuck, 
I feel like he made his bed at that point and he never anticipated that Jimmy would ever have the intelligence or the time or the ability to to do anything. And I look, what happened with Lalo, no, but I feel like Jimmy and Kim, I was with them the the whole way. That was the other shocking thing, wasn't it, about Howard's death was that you just got to the point where all of this buildup was actually to then see what Howard would do when you know he he was made out to look like he was on drugs and that he was going crazy um and we'll never get the we'll, we'll never get that that never that, that hasn't come to fruition because salamanca's got involved i feel like there's a there's a lot of loose ends to deal with with the death of of howard hammond and it's it's going to be interesting how we kind of deal with that with the final few episodes of this of the show forever yeah. Oh, the Salah, the, uh, not Salamakas, the, the Kettlemans bringing them back in was, was a really nice touch as well. Jimmy at the golf club with Kevin, um, when he was, uh, hiding in the, um, in the changing rooms. Um, just, I mean, there was just no filler in this, this, this season. Everything about it, um, you know, on our website, Dan, in our in our bio section, you and I both have our top ten TV series of all time. We both have Better Call Saul in there. I have it in 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 second, and you have it in there at fourth. And I feel like I feel like I might have to revisit that list because it could potentially go above my my current number one that's been there. You know, since the nineteen eighties, it's just that good for me. I I can't say enough. There, I think you're right. Like, there's no waste with this show, right? Like. Everything I think is just so, so purposeful, and I think it's it, it goes beyond a TV show. Like it's a work of art. If you're a better Call Saul fan like Dan and I, one thing I will say that the from a, when it comes to TV, there's only one thing better than watching Better Call Saul for me, and that is watching Better Call Saul and then listening to the Better Call Saul inside a podcast for that episode that you've just watched. So this is a, a podcast that comes out only when there's an episode the show's editors host it every every episode they have the creators vince gilligan and peter gould in every podcast they have the writer and the director of that episode plus they have at least one member of the cast and michael mando's podcast after his demise was just a great uh, a great podcast to listen to him talk about nacho's farewell and then just a few hours ago for this final season episode, uh, that podcast has dropped with with Patrick Fabian, and I can't wait to hear what he has to say about Howard. And one of the things they talk about is, and we don't even know it yet, they talk about how season six, part one, is full of priester, they're calling it priester eggs, of things that are to come in part two that I think when we go back for a rewatch, we'll pick up on. But at the moment, we have no idea what any of those things could possibly be. So yeah, if you're into the show, Better Call Saul Insider podcast, 100% recommend. It's a it's a very good chat. I listened to my first episode the other day, and it's uh, it's 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 so good just getting that kind of behind the scenes. And what I I love about it is, you know, you can tell that these actors and producers and directors care about this universe and their characters just as much as the fans do. And I think that's that's awesome. I noted my final comment, Dan, is I noted we didn't get too much from the cousins. Um, who are just great characters throughout both series. And I wonder if that's because we might have them doing what they do best. They may be coming in hot in part two, perhaps. Yeah, well, I think there's, yeah, there's, there's some sort of allegiance things, which I think might need to kind of be addressed. But I 
I think you're right. I don't think we'll be seeing the end of them. There's there's definitely some cleanup that will need to happen. Yeah, 100%. Awesome. Well, that's um, Battical Soul. It's available to watch on Neon, and I guess I guess it's all right. It's a pretty good show. Probably all the guns. All the guns and roll on the 11th of July for the final six episodes. Crazy. Shall we jump on in to the movie of the week? Yeah, let's go there. Okay, so movie of the week. Uh, every week um, we announce in our disc community on the weekend which movie we're going to watch and review the following week for our movie of the week feature. Here we go, Dan. This week we've gone with Gunpowder Milkshake. So I think what we have here, Paul, is we have a movie with a, a great title. Um, we have an interesting kind of mix of genres, I think. So I guess the synopsis of this movie here is three generations of women fight back against those who would take everything from them. It's kind of a little bit John Wick. Yeah. It's kind of a little bit Sin City. It's kind of got some Tarantino vibes. Yes. It's kind of even got some Drive vibes for me, just with the color palette and, and sort of all, all the neons. Mm-hmm. Quite a good cast. And when I watched this, I did actually wonder, is this based on a, on a graphic novel? And a little bit of light research, not too heavy though, because this is half measures. No, it's not. This was a, an original um, movie. And obviously they're looking to build a bit of a, a universe from it. My experience with this, with this one here is I didn't overly enjoy it until the end. And then I kind of enjoyed it. And... It kind of got a bit better, but I didn't understand it sort of like where it was sort of going tonally, I think, because it was like, are you are you a comedy? Are you a thriller? Are you kind of a a, a graphic novel? Like I, I and it I never quite sort of found the the place that it wanted to be. How about you? Yeah, look, some of the things you said there, I think when you were sort of rattling off the genres i think the other one you could throw in there a little bit was uh, maybe a bit of um maybe a little bit of matthew vaughan style um kingsman type um fighting because because you're right i thought it was a great cast i thought the look and feel uh, the neon lighting the, the 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 production of that i found it visually very appealing to watch you know it was all shot in berlin as well which i wouldn't have guessed but it looks superb i found myself laughing a lot so there was definitely uh, you know is this a comedy, even though in the genre it, it doesn't mention it at all? I found myself um, uh, screaming in, em- you know, sort of empathetic agony at some of the very brutal, very brutal fight scenes. You know, great poster. The the title pulled me in, and the direction of this movie is, as as you sort of touched on, is very Quentin Tarantino esque in places. And you know, Navo Navot. Papushado from Israel. He's the guy behind this. Quentin Tarantino said that um, Navar Papushado's previous movies, Big Bad, Big Bad Wolves, was the best film of the year, which is extraordinary praise. And that was his previous movie. And I cannot help but think that he's obviously got a bit of Tarantino in there. And so as a director, I thought he did an absolutely brilliant job. But on the flip side of this, he's a writer-director, as you picked up on. The, the writing is just not there. And so because of that, I 
I didn't really enjoy this movie. It's not memorable. The 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 script, the none of the one-liners really landed. And worst of all, I didn't care about the characters, which is almost impossible to 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 think of because the story is about rescuing a child. I think you you you've really you've hit the nail there because I think you know like the, so this is kind of the the theme version of of John Wick. But I think the differences with John Wick is John, we, we, we got to understand who John Wick as a character is. We got to understand that he's sort of a retired assassin. We got to understand who his wife was, who his dog was. And when you took those things away from him, he kind of had nothing to live for. And he kind of becomes, he, he goes back to his old persona. And I think this is unfortunately where Gunpowder Milkshake kind of falls down, is they don't really tell you anything about our main characters. They, they, they give you the, the, the bare bones with, like I think Karen Gillian does a, a like, like like she's great, Lena Headey, great. Um, but we just don't know enough about their characters to be invested or, or care about the story. And all we kind of have is people kind of constantly wanting to kill them. But as you said, there's no investment as a as a as a viewer to kind of be like, oh, I'm I want you to survive because this is important. It's not really until the the young child's on the scene that you kind of want, you know, we want to make sure that she's okay and protected. But again, the story is just so light. It doesn't. It doesn't compel you to think I'm having a great time. No, that's right, and it's um, it's a real shame because there's so much. Like I said, all the things I listed that appealed and looked good, and and direction style, and you know, some really funny and brutal things combined, just just lacking that 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 care factor. That oh, why? Who are these people? Where? Why are they doing this? It doesn't make any sense. And I feel like yeah, I praise the direction, but. And I guess, you know, maybe it's a tough week, a uh, tough podcast week to be reviewed in next to, you know, Better Call Saul. But um, I just felt there was some some things missing. And the other thing, Karen Gillan, I, who I think, I think she is a good actress. In fact, I've just actually started watching her in season six of Doctor Who, which is back in New Zealand on, on Prime Video. And I, I feel that her performance was good really good in terms of the stunts and the action scenes and all that jazz very very good but i don't think that the accent she was putting on in this role quite worked or or even fitted in somehow so i found that very jolting as well um there was just so many different things being thrown together with no explanation and it meant i didn't understand and ultimately didn't care and so unfortunately for me this is a bit of a miss I'll tell you that it's biggest floor Paul, and it's none of the things that we've talked about so far, but it is the milkshake that they share at the very start of this movie. <laughs> now, I like to consider myself a milkshake connoisseur, and they, first of all, they're sharing a, a milkshake in a glass cup, which is never a good sign. Like, one, you're not getting much milkshake at all. Like, it's it's a, quite a small ratio. Two, it's filled with cream on top. Three, they're both sharing this milkshake. <laughs> What's up with and, that? Which is... First of all, that's barely enough milkshake for one person. But actually, in the scene, the milkshake isn't even going down. Like, it's not until there's sort of like, there's another kind of like, you can tell the scene changes and the milkshake goes down a little bit. But it's like, don't don't have a title like Gunpowder Milkshake and don't have a quality milkshake. Correct. Yeah, the title really does draw you in. And um, I also am a, a huge milkshake fan and I knew you wouldn't be happy with the quantity of milkshake because you've seen, you've seen pictures of milkshakes I've made and commented on the fact that it's only like half full and i remember the time that you and i went to a place in wellington and had a milkshake and they served it to us in a glass and we <laughs> just looked at each other and i thought are we going to go like a pulp fiction moment on this restaurant because yeah. it was so unacceptable yep. 
it's it's never acceptable. So um, I think that's kind of, you know, that was a real faux pas on their part at the start of the movie. But I think for me, this is probably a... Is it a two guns, Paul? Is it is that too generous? A one and a half? It's a one and a half for me, Dan. And mm. it's a real shame because, yeah, I... I was excited you know, when the you know, with the two choices. I thought, oh yeah, this is this is on the list. This is this this has got to you know. We haven't even talked about some of the support cast. You know, Carla Cugino, um, Michelle Yeoh, um, Angela Bassett, Paul Giamatti. Really decent cast here, and um, and as I say, I I, I wanted I wanted to make sure I included the sort of the praise for the director because I feel like he's got uh, he's got something about him. But he just needs to work with a writer and maybe leave that the writing to someone else. But you know, what do I know? That's that's what I think. Indeed, indeed. I yeah, I think a, a bit of a miss, unfortunately, this week. But if you are interested in Gunpowder Milkshake, then you can check that out on Neon. I don't know if I need to waste anyone's time by asking the question of what's the pick of the week this week, Dan. But I'll I'll just say it just in case. What's your pick of the week? I think it's definitely gonna have to be Better Call Soul. Like it's just it's my pick of the year at this point. Yeah. It's, oh, ditto. Pick of the year. Pick of the year. And this is in a week when we've got other TV shows that you and I are both really fond of. Um, how, how are they going to measure up to this show? This one sets the bar. This is a show, as you said, that set the name of this podcast. So um, it's right up there. Dan, let's have a look at the news. What have you got over on your news desk this week? I've only got a, a couple of things I'm going to bring to the table this week. So first of all, um, a bit of a rest in peace announcement of Colin Cantwell, who is the concept artist who designed the Star Wars X-Wing, Death Star, and more. Mm-hmm. He passed away at age 90. I had not heard that. Good age. Sad, sad times. This bit of news we've talked about many times on the podcast, but now it is official. A new Daredevil series is finally in the works on Disney+. Plus. We've long been hyping it. We've long been talking about it. There's long been rumors. And I think what's great about this bit of news is it's going to be a, obviously a new series, but a, a a form of continuation of what we've already had on Netflix, which now lives on, on Disney+. Plus. So I think that's very exciting. I'm I'm beyond excited. I honestly I I missed that when it was in our Discord channel um, earlier this week. But um, I feel like if they'd done anything other than that, there would be outrage. Mm. Um, it looks like um, Loki is the most watched MCU series on Disney Plus, and according to some data, Loki has clocked up five hundred and twenty-three billion minutes of watch time. That equates to about 872 million minutes per episode. That's extraordinary. That is that's that is madness, those numbers. And what I find more curious, of, just as a brief aside of all the things you've brought to the table of the the Marvel TV series, I I would have thought you'd be saying this about WandaVision. That felt at the time when you were talking to me about it that that was the big one as opposed to as opposed to Loki, as opposed to the Winter Soldier or I think Loki's just such a, a popular character and people just have so much love for him. Yeah. Um, I, it, it makes sense. And, and, you know, they are working on a, a second season for that one as well, which is, is pretty exciting. True. Uh, another bit of interesting news, a renewal actually. So 1883, the the Yellowstone prequel, um, has came out on Paramount+. Plus. It's finally out in New Zealand on Prime Video. Um, and that was a long sort of said that this was going to be a standalone series. 
and a standalone in the sense that they're going to do another series, I think called what, 1932, mm-hmm. and sort of just more sort of like generationally uh, give us more about the the Dutton family. But it's just been announced uh, on Screen Rant actually that there. 1883 is going to be renewed for a second season. It's going to have a, a slightly different focus. It's not going to sort of continue the the immediate story um, of the of the Duttons there, but I'm sure they'll they'll feature in it somehow. But fascinating to see that we're going to be getting a, a second season of 1883. That's great. Yeah, that's a series that you and I need to to bring to the pod as well at some point. Then I'll tell you, Paul. I've already watched it. I loved it, <laughs> and I'm waiting for you to catch okay. up. Okay. I can't talk about it until you've watched it as well. I'm, I'm too hyped up. I was it. not, okay, the, the, the commons manager had not made that entirely clear to me. I, now that I know, I'll, I'll make more of an effort. Good to know. I think when, when you do get around to watching it, I'm probably going to watch it again. That's, that's how much I enjoy okay, it. Okay, great. One final bit of news for me. So Stranger Things Season 4 is releasing this week. In fact, the, the day this podcast releases, you'll be no doubt getting ready to watch Obi-Wan and the final season of Stranger Things. And what is interesting is Stranger Things Season 4 is going to be longer and bigger than ever. So we're basically getting a bit like Better Call Soul. We're getting a bit of a split final season. So Volume 1 of Stranger Things Season 4 um, is going to have, I think it's seven episodes and volume two is only going to have two episodes but those two episodes are huge so uh, number seven is one hour 38 and episode eight is sorry episode sorry i've got that wrong episode yeah episode seven one hour 38 episode eight is around 125 and episode nine two and a half hours that is outrageous Uh, i'm really hyped for that i'd not heard that at all Good to know. That's that's movies. It is. That's like movie. And I think that there's been some stuff out there. This is longer than some of the other, you know, like Free Guy, the movie. Like they've got episodes longer than a movie. So it sounds like they've got a lot of story to tell. So it's going to be an interesting time. So much good TV coming that way. Brilliant. And that is me. Anything at your end? Um, well, you covered off a couple of things I had. So no, that's good. Um, I Look, I, I, the, the trailer for Mission Impossible – Dead Reckoning Part 1 has dropped. Um, that doesn't come out till next year. But as someone who's just gone through the Mission Impossible series, honestly, very hyped for what that brings. And I love how they're doing... So they've, they've announced that they're doing Part 1 and Part 2. So they're splitting the final movie, you know, Harry Potter style, whatever you want to call it. It's, you know, they're going, going with, with two parts. I love that. Um, and... Because this happened whilst we were doing the Star Wars pods, um, if you're in New Zealand and you're a Star Trek fan and didn't already know, Strange New Worlds is dropping weekly episodes on TVNZ On Demand. We're now four episodes in, and so I'll have an episode, uh, sorry, a podcast review for that probably in about six weeks' time. But um, yeah, just there's a few New Zealand fans who I've discovered this week didn't even know it was on TVNZ On Demand, so I definitely want to have that word spread out there. And, and yeah, as you said, for anyone who listens to this podcast, you know, like an early bird as it comes out live, Obi-Wan Kenobi de- debuts in three hours after this pod drops. So, um, I, yeah, I can't wait for next week then when we go into the first two episodes. It's going to be such a great conversation. There's going to be lots of fan theorizing. It's going to be good. Good indeed. 
Um, we're on for a blockbuster length episode here, Dan. So I'll skip through our mailbag quickly. Um, so we have okay. So Tony from Palmerston North, he started listening to our podcast. You may recall um, it was episode eighty-seven, Red Light, Green Light. So that was a you know a few months ago, and he's continued to listen live each week. But he also decided to go back because he wanted to get the whole back catalogue, which, you know, is is the only way. It's a full measure. He went back to episode one. This week, he completed the 86th episode. He's completed the whole catch-up. And all he has left now is the, the four Star Wars episodes, which he's saving until he's watched those movies done. We need to send that guy a sticker. That is an incredible effort. It is a mammoth effort. He deserves a medal. Um, and, yeah, so to any listeners, you know, who have only recently started listening... Um, please do what Tony did and go back and listen to the uh, the old ones. But if that is too much to ask, if you're interested in listening to any particular reviews or a particular movie or TV show, you can find out exactly what we reviewed, halfmeasurespodcast.com slash reviews. And there's a link to the specific podcast that each and every movie or TV show review appears in. But back to Tony. He also picked up um, on some of the comments in episode 79 when we were talking about the use of the word home in the Spider-Man movie titles and why that, that was such a thing. And he thinks... The home reference could be Disney or Marvel Studios bragging or reinforcing the point that Spidey's now home in the MCU. Interesting. I think it checks out. Um, Sador uh, was with you on Doctor Strange, Dan. Uh, he enjoyed that movie, thought it was pretty darn good, um, was his summary. He also started the Jason Bateman HBO miniseries The Outsider uh, and is enjoying that, which was the movie I gave... Um, uh, memory serves a pretty positive review back in episode 92 the outsider definitely if you're a jason bateman fan check that one out um on the celebrity front dan zero replies zero likes and zero retweets from any actors actresses writers or directors this week so i will speak to the social media manager about that and skip straight to last week's peak performance which was christopher walken um jason from wellington uh, who, by the way, also commented he is obsessed with Euphoria on your Euphoria review, says for him it has to be true romance. Um, true romance also gets a mention uh, in Michael's 321, Michael from Charlotte, USA. Uh, he went with the Prophecy, True Romance, and King of New York. Uh, Mia Braun, or, or Brown, not sure how to pronounce it, uh, went with uh, The Deer Hunter, as I did. And then Paddy from Time Travelling Tink podcast gave us his 3-2-1, A View to a Kill, Batman Returns, and like Mr. Chalmers, he also gave a peak performance for King of New York. And I'm going to be honest, not only have I not seen this movie, until this week I hadn't even heard of it, The King of New York. I think I'm in the same boat as you, Paul. Shocking, isn't it? Not on my radar at all. And yet two people have it as their peak, so that's now been added to to watch this so um so thank you for those recommendations because that will now get a watch that's our mailbag this week then awesome shall we jump on over to our peak performance for the week yes so every week we take it in turns to look back at the career of someone from hollywood and say that's the best thing they've ever done and this week we are going to be looking back at tandy way newton all right, so this is a this is an interesting one. Um, I think you know we say it all the time: great back catalogue, a lot of great work. I'm going to go for my honourable mention. Is I'm actually going to give her a shout out for her performance in Line of Duty. I think the 
you know, Line of Duty Luck is another real classic favourite show of ours. And I think she just is such a, you know, great job. And I think, you know, she's quite a big star, I think, to, to come into that show. But I found her such a, a believable character. I think her character goes through so many dramatic events in that show. And I just think she, she played a, a fantastic, I'm going to use again, my fake ear, ear, ear quotes, a fake sort of bad guy. Mm. Um Really good effort. But the show that I think really stands out when I think about Bandy is I've got to I've got to say Westworld. And so in Westworld, uh, the character that she plays is um Maeve. And Ma- the character of Maeve basically uh runs it runs a brothel in this this AI world. And I just think from day one, she's just been a fantastic, powerful actress and a real force to be reckoned with. And I think just sort of the the complexity and the sort of the interesting environment, the whole sort of notion of Westworld brings about, I think she she just does it so well. So for me, Line of Duty and Westworld, both TV shows on this round. I just saw a picture of her with um, Aaron Paul, who I just see is also in, in that show as well. So great shout, highly rated. Um, honorable mention for me then, there was a few contenders here, but in the end I went, with uh, maybe maybe something slightly unexpected, and that was 2007's Run, Fat Boy, Run, um, which is a David Schwimmer-directed movie in which she stars opposite Simon Pegg. Um, and I don't think I've really seen her in a comedy before, and I just thought she was so good in this she has a um she 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 plays um the 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 fiance in fact the pregnant fiance of of simon Pegg, who leaves her standing at the altar and then he spends the rest of the movie trying to win her back and look it's a rom-com heavy on the com and they may not uh they may not get away with some of the dialogue today if memory says but she's really really funny in this and it always stands out in my mind as a movie uh worth watching i haven't seen it in a long long time um so yeah Run Fat Boy Run is my runner-up. But my peak performance fellow in FDN um, is as DCI Ros Huntley in season four of Line of Duty, just like you. And it's it's amazing how much stuff there is there that we've both mentioned this. Because what's interesting is I would potentially put her series, her season four, sorry, forward as my favorite Line of Duty season because it feels a, it feels a lot more standalone-ish than some of the others. And, you know, she's like the, the, the main protagonist in this and, you know, as you said, you know, she's kind of the, the, the baddie sort of vibe, but she's so good at making you empathize with her character's position. You know, she does those bad things, but then she has her reasons. And then she's so good opposite um, the guy who plays her husband, uh, Lee Ingleby, who's from Criminal UK. I, I, I thought the uh, the scenes where she goes to that guy's house, Tim Ifield's house, and the tension of that whole scene and how she, you know, and she murders him and covers her tracks. She, she sells all of that. So... For my, you know, this is, as I've said before, my number one UK police drama. And this season's right up there. And she, as the, as the lead actress in that, in that season, is a major part of that. So, yeah, I kind of feel biased because, you know, you've got six hours of this compared to maybe a couple of hours in another thing. But this is 100% her best performance for me. So that is my peak performance then. Good shout, Paul. Well, that probably brings us to the end of another episode of the Half Measures podcast does indeed uh thank you to everyone for for listening in if you've got a peak performance for 
for Tandui Newton, or if you've got anything to say about Medical Soul or anything else that we've talked about on the podcast, we'd love to hear from you. Uh, do get in touch on our Facebook, on our Twitter, on our Pinterest, on our Instagram. And yeah, thanks again for listening. Especially if you've got a, a theory about where Medical Soul is going. I'd love that. Definitely love to hear it. So also a special shout out to our Patreon producers, uh, Samara Whiting-King, Trisha Brady, Diana Kanawa, and Linda Tevner. We couldn't do it without you. If you too would like to become a Patreon producer, then you can find those details in the show notes below. But until next week, everyone, adios.